tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. I hope your Thanksgiving was pleasant, that you ate and drank in moderation, but not, well, not excessive moderation. Excessive moderation, is that even possible? I suppose it is. Well, Is it oxymoronic? Oxymoronic, yes, like so many of my friends who are both oxy and moronic. Well, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations, by the hearts of the faithful, by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. And we, we are reading from the book of Daniel. Um, I have, I really believe, I'm sure a lot of biblical scholars, of which I'm certainly not one, would think that Daniel was not an historical character, but I think he was. I, I, I really do. And I think this is history. Um, uh, and, and, you know, these things are remembered. I, I remember the first time I went back to Germany, the first of my family to return after the unpleasantness of the 20th century. Um, uh, old, old relatives remembered where people had come from in Germany. And I, you know, student pack on my back, that sort of thing. And uh, uh, <clears throat> I um, got to the followed instructions and got to this little town. And I thought if they're going to remember a draft dodger from 1866, which is what great grandpa was, uh, he was the the northern Germans were drafting all of the Catholic boys around. They were drafting everybody, but they loved to draft Catholic boys because uh, Bismarck, uh, the, uh, the Kulturkampf, uh, the culture war, um, didn't believe you could be Catholic and German because you were owing a loyalty to a foreign person. So when a person turned draft age, they put him on the boat and sent him to live with Uncle Anton in America and make a lot of money. You know, get shot at by the French, make money in America, flip a coin. So that's how my people got here. Um, uh, and, and about a third of the town emigrated over the course of the 20th century. And we come real close to losing that contact, that awareness. And an old aunt struggled up to me in a family funeral and said, your mom says you're going to Europe with a pack on your back. I was, I think I was 23. So this will tell you how to get to grandpa's town. She was the last, the last daughter-in-law of this guy. And, um, so I went, and uh, lo and behold, uh, they said, welcome back. We've been looking for you since the last war was over. And uh, 
we renew the contact. But what really the point of this rather drawn, long drawn out story is I remember somebody took me to a little old lady's house. She lived up on a third floor apartment and she stuck her head out the window and she, she said, you've come all this way from America. You can come up three flights. And so I did. And there was a meal spread out. Word had spread through the town that an American was claiming to be uh, from the town, the ancestors from the town. And, and she she remembered she was a she must have been oh she must have been eighty, but she remembered the names of people who had emigrated to Detroit a uh, hundred years ago. They don't forget these things, and so the idea that somehow well this is just a made up story this is just a fantasy. They don't forget these things. Uh, we Americans, <clears throat> we forget things pretty quickly. We we forget history and. And in this age of paper and pencil and computers and Xerox machines and and carrying around phones that remember everything, our memories are not sharp. But once upon a time, people really, really needed. Um, um, they really needed. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Do you ever for? have deja they vu, Mr. Memories. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> What's the rest of that line? I, I don't know if we have any, but I'll see if I'll talk to the cook. Yeah, I can that, check that, with the kitchen. That, I can check with the kitchen. That's what it is. Well, you know, that the, the people remember these things. So I think I remember when I was once in the Holy Land, uh, we had a a wonderful guide. Um, you know, I used to think, well, this is the spot where Jesus did this, and that's the spot where Jesus did that. That's nonsense. But this guide, who was a, a, a Palestinian Christian, uh, um, <clears throat> was very instructive. And he said, he pointed it as we're driving along in the bus, he pointed to a tree and he said, that was the tree where my great grandfather proposed to my great grandmother. I think that was it. He said, and that told a story that was told by my grandfather and by my father, and it will be told by me. And so his memory of that tree went back at least a hundred years. And so these shrines in the Holy Land were remembered and so often we take this modern attitude that we are superior in all things to people of the past, and we're not. That that this is really the place where this happened. This has been handed down to us. So this is truly, uh, you know, what what went on has been handed down to us. So when we read these things in the book of Daniel, I think we can rely on them uh, certainly as, as spiritual truth conveyed to us by the Holy Spirit, but is even historical truth. So in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, <coughs> excuse me, king, God, where's the cough button? It came and laid, <clears throat> there you go, and came and laid siege to Jerusalem. This would have been, oh gosh, when would this have been? This would have been about the year five, well, about close to 600 BC. Uh, and, um, they were in exile for 70 years. Um, so um, we go on to the, the, um, uh, the, the people who were brought into the court of, of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, um, which uh, um, were their Babylonian names, and Daniel. Uh, so the captivity in Babylon was not necessarily a slavery. It was a deportation. Uh, and and ancient monarchs loved to deport people in this period because to take them away from their country 
was to take them away from their gods. It was to take them away from their culture. They didn't mind that these people were not ethnically the same group. They wanted to populate their empire and expand their territory, and that's how they did it. So it was, wasn't like the slavery in Egypt. This was, this was uh, uh, a kind of uh, augmentation of the, of the Neo-Babylonian kingdom. So, well, you know the story that the... the, the um, uh, um, Well, they're the Hebrew names: Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So, the 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 court uh, officials had their allowance paid by the the royal the royal household, and there we go. And and um, they said we're going to keep kosher. Now we will digress uh, for a short uh, lesson on kosher food. Uh, they begged the the uh, the people who were serving them to allow them just to eat vegetables and water. No meat, no wine. All vegetables are kosher. Not all meat, not all fish is kosher. The um, meat uh, from certain animals, and I can never figure out quite which, <laughs> is kosher. And fish must have gills and scales in order to be kosher. You can't eat shrimp and crab and lobster and all that. Uh, but if it comes from the water, it has to have, you can't even eat eels because it has no scale. Certainly you couldn't eat whale because it doesn't have scales and it's meat anyway. So, uh, but the water, that's kind of interesting. All alcohol products that we use today, um, with some, some restriction are kosher, except if they are made from grapes. I'm not sure if all beers are kosher. Uh, it, it would depend on what's in them, but, um, <clears throat> anything made with grapes is not kosher unless it is made, sold, bought, and opened by someone who is Jewish. I remember I was at a dinner with uh, at Rabbi Lefkowitz's house, and uh, the soon-to-be uncle-in-law of his daughter was there <clears throat> uh, at dinner. And he was utterly fascinated. He never didn't talk to Christians and had never talked to a Catholic priest. And he was amazed that we were playing in the same ballpark. We were talking about the law of Moses. We were talking about charity. He, was a, he ran a big charity. He was a great guy. And I was about to pour him some wine. <clears throat> and the only kind of wine that you can pour for someone who is uh, kosher, keeping the, the law of Moses, is called mebushal, which means cooked. Mebushal, a wine that, in which heat is used for preparation. That's okay. Because... All the, the rest of, of the alcohol uh, <clears throat> are made from grapes, even brandy. Who knows what those non-Jews had done to those grapes. They might have used them in some ritual like the Mass and consecrated them or something like that. So if it was grapes, had to be made sure, had to make sure it was kosher. So uh, I, I was about to pour him a glass of, of wine, and I said, oh, I don't know if I can pour this for you. And I looked at the label to see if it was yayin, which just means wine, or mebushah, which means uh, wine that's been processed. And he looked at me and he shook his head and he said, I don't know, I've never been in this situation. Yes. I mean, what's the point of the kosher law? And here we have it. I've never been in this situation. So many people think, well, the prohibition against pork is because, well, pigs are dirty animals. Chickens, chickens are certainly not cleaner than pigs. I mean, chickens are filthy. <laughs> have you ever been in a hen house? 
um, it's not a hygienic or, or uh, 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 medical prescription. I really believe it's not. People argue this constantly. The purpose of the law was to set Israel apart from the nations. Um, the consumption of meat in particular was problematic because the only time you ate meat was when someone had sacrificed to an idol, to a god. Uh, <clears throat> I know in Roman, uh, in the Roman world, and I imagine it was true elsewhere, that butcher shops were closely associated with temples. The priest got some of the animal. You got some of it to take home and have a barbecue, a party, invite all your friends, uh, come to a banquet in honor of the god, uh, yada, yada. Um, that was the idea. And the rest was sold in stores, giving proceeds to the, to the priest who sacrificed. So you would be brought into the worship of pagan gods by eating sacrificial meat. So you had to eat meat that was kosher that had been slaughtered in the proper way and drained of its blood because the blood is sacred and belongs to the Lord. And you couldn't eat, for instance, pork was, uh, <laughs> the Greek gods loved pork. So that was the point of it, that that it kept people apart socially. And the reason for that was religion in the ancient world was not much better than a kind of voodoo. It was about trying to keep the gods off your case. The gods were these capricious, evil spirits, these nature spirits. Everybody thinks leprechauns are cute. Talk to an old country Irishman. Leprechauns aren't cute. They're these malevolent spirits as our fairies. And if you don't avoid them, they'll, they'll give you problems. That, that's what leprechauns are. They aren't these cute little things giving us green milkshakes at St. Patrick's Day. Uh, they're malevolent spirits. You see, the gods weren't interested in human beings. The gods were interested in human beings only as a kind of amusement. Um, <clears throat> the, the, they, they weren't loving uh, beings. Well, God isolated, I believe that God, through kosher regulation, isolated the Jews to train them in a new understanding of divinity and religion. That it was about relationship. I will be your God, you will be my people. It was about uh, uh, loving God and being loved by God. Um, and so he set a people apart. At the time of Christ, a lot of the non-Jews, the Gentiles, were becoming very interested in, in Judaism. It presented one God who was moral, who had this wonderful moral law, who loved humanity. Uh, it, was, it was a fascinating religion and a hopeful religion. Uh, whereas the religion of the Gentiles was this, this worship of these capricious nature spirits. And um, uh, there were a lot of people going to synagogue. They didn't go whole hog, you'll excuse the pun, but they didn't go whole hog and, and keep kosher law and all that sort of thing. But they would attend synagogue. They were called the God-fearers. Some would become Jews, but most did not. And that's where Christianity really spread, that you could worship the God of Israel and read the Hebrew scriptures without having to go through all that and, and be fully a part of Israel. So uh, without having to go all, through all the, the rigmarole. So that's the point of kosher law. Now, uh, boy, I talked a long time, but I got to get to the gospel because the gospel here kind of, I think it relates to it well. It's very short gospel, but Jesus looked up and saw wealthy people putting their offerings into the treasure. He noticed a poor widow putting in two small coins. And by the way, uh, 
if the Shroud of Turin is in fact the bearer cloth of Christ, which I think it is, and if it in fact has coins on the eyes, which I think it does, uh, this is the same coin, a lepton, which literally means a, a leftover. It's it's uh, it's it's a skinny. It's they're very tiny. Uh, uh, you know, they're they're worth very little. So. So she put in two tiny coins worth very little. And he said, the widows put in more than the rest. They have made offerings from their surplus. She has offered her whole livelihood. So there you go. Well, how does this relate to the first reading? All of the rules and regulations, and this applies to us, all the rules and regulations. Why are you doing them? Are you doing them for love? I'm not saying you shouldn't do them. Obey the law. You know, but our rituals, our our laws, and I'm not just talking about the Ten Commandments, uh, like fasting for the hour before communion, or uh, uh, obeying the fasting laws of Lent, or all of the different little things that people look at Catholics and say, why are we doing all this? If you're doing it for love, you're doing it the right way. If you're doing it to chalk up points, well, I don't know that you're doing it the right way. No, I'm not. Again, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying yes, do it. And do it because you love Jesus and you love your brothers and sisters in the church and you're doing it for the, the sake of the church. This widow made a great sacrifice out of love. She, that sacrifice of love fulfilled the law. And, you know, I always talk about Jesus fulfilling the law. He said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Well, how do we fulfill all of the dietary regulations of Judaism? Not by what we don't eat, but what we do eat. For instance, thou shalt not commit adultery. How do we fulfill the law of the, the that uh, uh, commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery? by Not simply by avoiding intimacies with people to whom we are not married, but by being the dearest and closest friend to our spouse. We fulfill it by understanding its purpose. So how do we fulfill the dietary law? We, don't, we fulfill the dietary law not by what we do not eat, but by what we do eat. We consume the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Son of God, born of the Virgin, present in the Eucharist. And we do so worthily. This is a very important point that St. Paul says, he who eats and drinks unworthily, eats and drinks to condemnation. So we try to live a moral life that we might be worthy of consuming the body, blood, soul, and divinity. This truly separates us from the rest of the world because we can receive communion. You heard me say it before. I can only give you the Holy Eucharist. I can't give you communion. Only your soul disposed to receive the Lord and the Lord's grace can give you communion. Communion is something only God can give you. Communion means intimate union with God through Christ in the Eucharist. I can't give you that. And if you eat and drink unworthily, saying, that's my right, I can, ta- I, can, I can take communion. No, you can't take communion. You can only receive it. You can take the Eucharist, but you can't take communion. And by entering into that communion, we fulfill the dietary laws of Israel uh, in, a, in a marvelous way. We are sep- the law existed to separate Israel from the world and from false gods. Holy communion. The Eucharist received as Holy Communion separates us from the idolatry of the world. And those people who want to indulge in the idolatry of the world and still enter into communion, they cannot. Not they may not. They cannot. They may not receive the Eucharist and they cannot receive communion. So 
the Lord has fulfilled all of the dietary laws which created a people set apart, a holy people. He has fulfilled that by giving his own flesh and blood to create a truly holy people. And when we fool around with it and decide, well, oh, you don't have to be that holy to receive communion. You can't receive communion without being truly holy. As I said, you can take the Eucharist, but you can't receive communion. All right. I hope that explains it all. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with letters. Oh, boy. And uh, uh, the phone number. The phone number is open. 888-914-9149. That is 888-914-9149. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. I'm back in the saddle again Out where a friend is a friend Where the longhorn cattle feed on the lowly gypsum I'm back in the saddle. Well, again. back you're back on the back uh, yeah, on the Ride network again. The and um, the range is kind of frozen where I am. I, <laughs> another northern Illinois winter. Oh boy. Am I complaining? Yes. All right. Let's go 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. That is our toll-free call-in line, which is provided for us, you know, by the Catholic Order of Foresters. So a blessing on their tribe, 888-914-9149. All right, let's go to letters. Okay, I I got a letter that, that I'm going to read purely out of, I suppose, I don't know, self-interest, but I guess bragging. Um, this is from Tim in LaGrange, or who grew up in LaGrange. He's now in Florida. Tim, if you're listening, slacker, Florida, cold weather builds character. Moving along here. Yeah, of course, and I remember the, the your family too, Tim, but um, did your mother teach fourth grade at St. Francis Xavier Grade School in LaGrange, Illinois? If so, she's a strong in my memory, is a wonderful teacher. Yes, she did. And my mother taught fourth grade for, what, 15 years? And... Um, she's been gone, oh gosh, I want to say, I'd have to think of how long, let me see, it's been at least 30 years, uh, and close to 35, and uh, people still come up to me and say, uh, what a wonderful woman she was, so I'm, uh, all boys love their mother, or they should, but she was an exceptional woman, and I was very blessed, I mean, in, in, in my, in both my parents, so Tim, yeah, uh, and as I recall, if I recall, if this is the family that I'm remembering, I don't want to mention last names if I can avoid it on, on the air, but you too came from a quite a quite a great family. All right. God bless. All right. Let's move along here. See, that was all right. <laughs> this is from John. It's it's a joke. I heard legend has it that when Moses came down from the mountain, he said, I, I have some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is I got him down to Ten Commandments. The bad news is you're not going to like all of them. Cute. <laughs> yes, that was. It's a joke. It's a joke. All right. 
this kind of funny. I got him down to ten. All right, moving along. I don't get it. I don't oh, get it. Of course, you wouldn't, Homer. You probably, I don't know. Read them someday. All right, moving along. This is from Marsha. Father, you mentioned two books, one by Crocker titled Triumph, The Power and Glory of the Catholic Church, one titled Treasury of the Communion of Saints. I found the book by Crocker. I cannot find the other one. Perhaps I misunderstood the book title. I recall your comment about St. Aquinas and St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, any clarification is appropriate. Well, um, I, I did, uh, 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 dear voice in my head, did you recommend the treasury of the communion of saints or did someone else call and recommend it? That was not me. You might, no, you might be able to find it from Tan, but, uh, Tan publishers does some very, uh, good old fashioned lives of the saints. And, uh, um, so I would, I would look at that and, um, you know, there, there are all sorts of lives of the saints, but I, I believe that was the title, The Treasury of the Communion of Saints, and um, I'll see if I can find it. If anybody has information I on it, I would be that. grateful to hear. Um, so maybe I got the name wrong. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, this is from Jacqueline, um, who is listening to – where'd my cursor go? There we go. All right. I really I, I listened to your show last Saturday. Uh, you were talking about apostolic succession at one point, the beauty of Gregorian chant. My question is about the prayer of the Holy Ghost. You say, uh, the Holy Spirit. That's not my question. You say other words in the prayer. For instance, Lord, you who taught the hearts of the nations. It's supposed to be the heart of the faithful. You'll notice I stumbled over it again. I don't know why I've always said the hearts of the nations, probably because when the nuns taught us that prayer, I wasn't paying attention, but I... I you know, I'm kind of big on the relationship between the Gentiles and the Jews and why why this happened that way. So maybe that's why I do it. But in the prayer in Latin, the voice in my head who looks all these things up said, no, it's of the of the faithful in Latin in the original of the prayer. So, okay, but let's get back. Um, I get confused when I try to say it with you. <laughs> of course there is. Is there a universal way of saying it together so that we can all be on, uh, all be the same? The St. Michael prayer is this way too. I still use Holy Ghost in my prayers and thy and thine and thou. No, it's fine to do that. It's, it's, um, these are private prayers and, and, um, uh, you know, you, you can change them, uh, within reason. I mean, you wouldn't change them totally, but, um, you can adapt them, shall we say. Uh, I don't think it's wrong to do this because these prayers have been around for so long. The word you uh, or you has several meanings in prayer and speech. How can we be more uniform in prayer without disrupting the flow of prayer? Like beautiful meanings in prayer and speech. How can we be more uniform in prayer? Oh, uh, like, like beautiful Gordian chant of the old prayers of the Mass. Our prayers become memorized with time, but prayers flow in unison with others. Well, that's why we used to do it in Latin, and that's not going to happen again. And as long as we use translations, there are going to be translation problems. There always will be. Um, so uh, I, I wish I had a solution for that. Uh, what you need to do when you come into a new place, for instance, and they say the rosary uh, after Mass, which uh, this is going to sound awful. This is just going to sound awful. You know that I'm a fairly traditional person, and I love the rosary. But the general instruction of the Roman Missal points out that there should be silence before Mass so people can prepare individually for Mass. And the time to say the novenas and the rosaries and all that is after Mass, as a thanksgiving. Well, but people leave, not the people who want to pray. 
<clears throat> I know that this is not going to change anybody's mind on it, and it will probably make some people unhappy, but look at the general instruction. There's to be silence before Mass, and that means the choir shouldn't be up in the choir loft practicing. If they're going to practice, they should be in another place. There should be opportunities for silent prayer before Mass, and I personally believe if you see people praying after Mass, don't start shouting howdy-do to the, your neighbor across the way. Uh, respect the prayer, and after Mass is, is the perfect time for those devotions. It's always when we did it when I was a kid, uh, at least as far as I can remember. So, all right. <laughs> Let's see here. I don't understand this from George from Oregon. Would we be rebaptized if we swim in the pool? Well, no, not sacramentally, certainly. You would be redunked, I suppose, the Greek meaning of the word. All right. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. Hold on. Um, this is a, a very interesting note uh, from Mary in San Luis Obispo, California. Let me look at the time here. Just this one. Our Lady of Good Success is in Quito, Ecuador. The convent there opens um, for one week of the year for pilgrims. The feast day of the presentation, pilgrims gather in the convent church around four. The statue of Our Lady of Good Success is, is, is processed through the old town streets. Uh, it's beautiful. When I was there, I asked the convent administrator, it was true that the convent held 13 incorrigibles and said, yes. Apparently, there's always one sister among them who carries on the seer tradition of the original visionary. Um, Mother Mariana of Jesus, Torres, and Berchoa, a nun of the Conceptionist Order. I'm not sure quite what that means. Um, the, 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 um, uh, I think it's incorruptibles, not incorrigibles. Incorrigibles means people who can't be, who can't be corrected. Um, uh, that's kind of interesting, but very interesting. Uh, Mother Mariana, who lived, I think, in the 1600s, uh, she really predicted the 20th century pretty much to the letter in the church. Uh, she's worth looking up. Our Lady of Good Success in Quito, Ecuador, and Sister uh, Mariana. Oh, I just something just popped up on my computer to block it. And Sister Mariana, Mother Mariana of Jesus. Um, worth looking up. All right, let's go here. I, well, let's we'll take a break. We're going to come back. Well, yeah, we'll take a break. The phones are open. Let me let me. Look at that, and we will be back shortly. 888-914-914-9149. Today we'd like to thank Deborah, who's listening in California for donating her 1986 Volkswagen Jetta. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Get right, church, and let's go home. Well, get right, church, Come and let's on go and home. get right, church, and let's go home. Get right, church, you better get right, church. Come on and get right, church, and let's go home. I'm going home on the morning You know, this song, Get Right Church and Go Home, if you think about it, why can't we be like the early church? The early church was a mess. That's why St. Paul had to write all those letters. You know, I think that was one of the great fallacies of the 60s of my youth, that we're going to go back to the early church. And I'm convinced that the old Pentecostal slash charismatic movement really was 
the recapitulation of the of the early church because it had all the same messed up problems, you know, the people who who and I, I'm speaking as someone who was involved in it and is my spirituality is very influenced by it, but but it it just it's fascinating that desire we have to go back to the early church thinking that somehow it was perfect. No, it wasn't. It was a mess. In fact, is there was a there was an attempt to revive the the uh, the uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit, which is what those are more properly called, by a fellow named Montanus, who was an ex an ex priest of uh, one of I think the goddess Sibyl in northwestern Turkey, and he had two prophetesses who worked with him, and he considered himself the incarnation of the Holy Spirit. And they declared that the New Jerusalem had descended and was disguised as a field somewhere outside of Papuza, Turkey. So that was the early church. And the bishops came and they watched them. So they prophesy in a way to which we are not accustomed. So they said, not so much. But uh, it's thought that the great church father, Tertullian, had joined the Montanists because the church was getting too, too liberal for him. See, the whole, it's just what, nothing's new. History does not repeat itself. It stutters. All right, let's move along here. Where? Oh, the, the word of the day. Is that where we're at? The word of the day. As I promised, the word of the, well, I, I mentioned I was going to talk about it. The word of the day is Nebuchadnezzar, because it's a neat word. Nebuchadnezzar the second, more properly. He was the, the emperor of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which means Babylon had had a great empire and it had kind of been eclipsed by people like the Assyrians, but then it came back swinging. But the name, I, I think it's interesting because the name Nebuchadnezzar, really, it, it, that's sort of the English version of, of the, the Akkadian, which is an, uh, sort of the original Semitic language. It was Nabuchodurushar, Nabuchodurushar, and which really meant God, God Nabu. Nabu was the god of literature, and he was sort of like the same as the god Mercury uh, for the Romans, this god of 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 information and uh, that sort of thing. Um, uh, I suppose he'd be the god of computers now, but uh, this uh, Nabuchodurushar. It meant, may the god Nabu look over my heir, my, the one who's going to inherit from me. And he had been a priest of, uh, of oh, he, he was a priest of some temple and all that sort of thing before he was uh, emperor, uh, king of the Babylonians. And, you know, the reason I think this is interesting is his, well, uh, to move on with this Nebuchadnezzar, his nickname was Kuduri. Which, uh, which I, I think that means uh, to watch. Is that the right? I'm not sure if it's to watch or I don't know any Akkadian uh, or it's Usher. But uh, it was. It it came into Hebrew as uh, Nebuchadnezzar Ashar, and then it came into Greek as Nabu uh, Nabukodoronosor, and it comes into English Nebuchadnezzar. Well, which is it? I don't know. Take your pick. It, that's what I was kind of saying earlier is that when something is a translation of something, we're never going to agree on it. But I thought you might like to know that that really neat name, Nebuchadnezzar, really was Nabuchodurushar, as they said it, and his friends called him Kuduri. All right, moving along, let's go to phone calls. Boy, that was pointless. 
Why don't you ask me a little easy question? Will you answer it? A tiny one. Yes. Okay. 888-914-9149. Lots of lines open. 888-914-9149. We've got Richard from Carlsbad, California coming in. Hi, Father. Uh, I've tried to read all the books I've ever read. Probably, I probably didn't read all my college books, but I, in 2007, I stopped reading this trilogy about the Diablo video game. It was the very last of the Diablo 2 video games. And Diablo comes out of the sewer with the spider minions, and I said, you know, if I read the rest of this, it's going to ruin my marriage, and, and playing the video game probably would would have ruined my marriage also. I kept on doing it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I've been tempted to read the rest of the book, but I don't think I should. I agree with you. I mean, even if there's the slightest chance that it would influence your your relationship to your spouse and 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 uh, ruin ruin your marriage, I wouldn't even risk it. I wouldn't go anywhere near it. I would throw it in the garbage. So uh, you know, it, it sounds like it isn't very edifying. I, I remember. I was reading a book on exorcisms written by a very famous person. And this was not, this was not, I mean, this was uh, uh, a book not designed to tempt or anything. It was kind of informational. I got through five pages and put it on the shelf and never picked it up again. I think I've thrown it out since because it was a fine book, but the way it affected me was not healthy. And I needed, I needed, I couldn't go any further in it. So I would I would not read it, and if I had it, I would toss it out. That would be my advice, Richard. Hope that helps. Uh, am I allowed to read Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? Uh, I, that sounds harmless. I, I haven't read it myself, but I know what book it's about. But if you have any kind of doubt, um, better to be safe. So I, I don't think that's a problem. Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. There is a great difference between men and women, I've noticed. So, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it, Richard, uh, a book like that. But Diablo, I would I would toss it. Hope that helps a little. Thank you very much. God bless. Let's go to Margaret, who's calling in from Chicago. Margaret, what can I do for you? Yes, Father, I'd like to know, um, since the Episcopal Church, they all came from the Catholic Church, do they have apostolic succession? The jury uh, was out on that for a long time, but the dis- the real authoritative decision is no, because the bishop law changed the ordination ceremony and no longer intended to create a, a sacrificing priesthood. In order to impart a sacrament, you have to uh, use the form and matter, we believe, that, that has come to us from Christ. And the, the form, uh, I can't remember which is the form, which is the matter, but the laying on of hands, and you have to have the intention to do what the church is doing. In other words, if I said the consecration but did not intend for that bread and wine to be changed into the body and blood of Christ, it would not happen. I can I can fail to believe it, but if I have the intention to do what the church intends, it would be fine. But the opposite is not true, that to do the actions and say the proper words without the proper intention. Uh, you have to have the intention. So uh, Bishop Law changed the intention of the, of the sacraments. Now, a lot of, a lot of uh, Episcopalian priests and bishops have been co-ordained 
by people who do have a valid apostolic succession, which confuses the whole thing. But it all depends on on uh, the the form and matter and intention. Does that help a little? It does. Thank you. Good. All right. Well, God bless. And you know, that's not to denigrate uh, anyone who loves the Lord. It's just you know that that the Lord established these things in a certain way, and well, we tried to obey Him. All right. Let's go to Rose again. The phones are open at eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. That's eight eight eight. Nine one four nine one four nine. Rose, what can I do for you? Good morning, Father Simon. I've been so Good happy morning. to be able to speak to you directly. Well, thank I you. am asking a question about. Okay, I have a question regarding Saint Luke. I heard the other day that he was a Hebrew, but in my teaching as a Catholic, I have heard that he was a Gentile. So, could you clarify what? He is or was? Yes, the strong tradition is that he was a not he was a Greek uh, who converted to uh, the religion of Israel and then to Christ. So that that was a strong, strong tradition. Um, the very interesting uh, one of the uh, indications for that is the absolute excellence of uh, his his. His Greek, the first four lines of the Gospel of Luke, are the best, uh, uh, the best Greek in the Bible. And and the strong tradition is that he was born in Antioch in Syria from a Greek family. That that's a tradition that goes all the way back. So uh, there's no reason to think he wasn't uh, uh, a Gentile. Um, and I, I know of no indication uh, that he was Jewish, and the strong tradition is that he was he was Greek. Does that help? Yes, it does, Father Simon. And thank you very much for all of the information that you provide. I am very anxious every time I hear you to hear your historical uh, circumstances and the things that you provide in an intellectual way. And I thank you so very much. God bless you, Father Timon. Thank you so much. And it's fine, fine. I appreciate your 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 kindness. Just reminding you to take it with a grain of salt, because maybe that's why I'm a little more interesting, because I don't think I'm infallible. I've known scholars. I'll never forget a philosophy professor who said, the great question of 20th century philosophy is, why is there something instead of nothing? And I raised my hand and I said, well, by definition, uh, doctor, there is no, nothing. Nothing cannot exist. And he looked and said, you're wrong. <laughs> I, I dropped the class. He wasn't a philosopher. <laughs> he wasn't teaching us anything. So so remember, the parts, if you hear something I say that's wrong, read a lot about it, and you'll be right. Well, nice to hear you, Rose. God bless. And I'm, I'm honored that you'll listen. There's the salt shake with a grain of salt. Let's go to Lenore from Pennsylvania in the United States. Lenore, what can I, what can I do for you? Hi, Father Simon. I love listening to you. I learn. I always well, learn so much. Well, thank I have a great question. It's actually from a friend of mine told me the other day that my daughter goes to Catholic school and her children mm-hmm. also go to the same Catholic school, but they don't live close by the school. They are coming from like maybe 40 minutes away. So their oh, home parish wow. is a little further away. Yeah. So. What she's saying to me, she said, oh, yeah, she, I said, oh, yeah, reconciliation's coming. Your children are getting reconciliation. This, you know, first, you know, they're getting their sacraments and, and First Holy Communion. She goes, yeah, and then they have to repeat it in the home parish. I said, what? I'm like, you oh. can't get First Holy Communion twice. 
I'm like, that would be second no. Holy Communion. I'm like, why do you say that? She goes, no, our pastor said that we ha- we can get it here. You know, it'll be first at the school that they go to, yeah. right? Because, but then they have to repeat. Like, they have to go through the process, I guess, with other CCD children and do hmm. it in their home. Is that true? He said it was like canon law. I'm like, I think you should call it. Oh, no, it's not canon law. Right. No, no, it's not canon law. It may be a local regulation, even from the bishop, just to ensure that the the parish is, uh, you know, the, the pastor has the has the 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 spiritual responsibility of his parishioners, so that that if you are actually parishioners in that parish, it's the pastor's duty to make sure that that child is well prepared and the pastor's right, and that may be his way of doing it. He wants them to hear. Uh, um, make sure that they've heard the gospel. So uh, that can, that can work, but there, yeah, the first, that child can go to communion once they've, once that child's received first communion, as far as I can uh, know, that child can receive first communion in parish A or parish B or parish C. Uh, so I, I remember when I was first ordained, the custom was you have a first mass. Well, by the time I was ordained, you had like 10 first masses. My last first mass was in Germany, of all places, in which I <laughs> frightened the, the congregation by getting up into an old medieval pulpit that looked like it was going to come down under my bulk. Nobody slept through that sermon, even though it was in bad German. So, you know, that was my 10th first mass. But you call it a first mass, but it wasn't. The, her first communion will be the, the communion that she receives in the parish where she has been trained. Uh, but um, her local, the local church where she usually goes, that pastor has the right and the duty, well, the duty and the right to make sure that child is catechized mm-hmm. the way that he should. Does that answer the question? It does. It does. It just it just seemed odd. I was like, well, doesn't he yeah. know you're going to Catholic school? Like, what's, you know, does he think we're doing something wrong down here? You know. You, you never know. You know miles away. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, the, time, right. the times are, are, are um, different. When I was a kid, you, you know, you went to Parish A or Parish B and you got basically the same stuff. I don't know if that's true these days. So maybe that pastor is worried about that. Who knows? But. This kid, these kids will be wonderfully educated in the faith. So that's a, that's a positive there. Think of it that way. All right. Oy. Thank the you. times are interesting. God much. bless. And, and I'm, I'm honored that you listen. Thanks so much. God bless. Right. Let's Thank go you. to Dean, Bye-bye. who's calling from Cape Coral, Florida, where it's warm. Hello, Father. I'm looking at snow, Dean. I'm looking at snow right now. I'm looking at some uh, degrees. It's funny. Go on, go on, Dean. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> may I ask, may I ask, are you a native of, are you a native of Florida? No, I was born in Wisconsin. Right. Oh, slacker, coward, traitor. Well, that's all right. We'll forgive you. Go on. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I'm a 63 year old man. And I've never lost my I'm cradle Catholic, never lost my faith in the church, but I've fallen away, come back, fallen away, come back. And, you know, at times led a very, very hedonistic life. And that's why mm-hmm. St. Augustine is my favorite. Um, but what mm. would have happened now? I'm, I feel that I'm on the right path. I'm living, a, I'm living the, the life mm-hmm. that God wanted me to in the Christian Catholic you know, faith. What would have happened if I would have died in some accident or some way before that happened. I mean, God gave me mm-hmm. the opportunity to have the time sure. to come back. What would have happened if, if I didn't have that time or all the people that don't have that time? 
Well, I think you have to understand the nature of mortal sin. Mortal sin is a definitive turning away from the Lord, saying, I don't want God. Now, we can say that in those words, uh, or we can kind of live it out in our life. You know, that uh, um, I always point out uh, artificial birth control. Most people think of good good reasons to, to practice artificial birth control, and well, it still doesn't make it right. And Jesus said, whoever receives a child receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And so when we say, I don't want children, I don't want life, we're definitively denying God. That's an example. Like, for instance, yeah, I, I didn't deny God, but I I sure like running around and doing stuff. And even if God says I shouldn't, I'm not going to. Yeah, that is a definitive turning away from God. To commit a mortal sin, you have to know it's a mortal sin. You have to have a full turning of the will, and you have to have full freedom. So you really have okay. to intend it. And uh, so who knows the state of your soul at that point? Now the state of your soul is you want God. And, uh, you know, I love what C.S. Lewis says in the screw tape letters that God, uh, the devil accuses God of being such a sophist. He'll save a soul on the flimsiest of pretexts, which I think is true. No one wants you to go to heaven more than more than more than God. But um, what I said about communion, I think, applies to heaven. Heaven is the ultimate holy communion. Communion means intimate union with God. And um, uh, the 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 uh, people talk about communion at mass. Can I receive holy communion? Well, I don't know if you can. Uh, you can receive the Eucharist. You can come up to me under false pretenses, and I will give you the sacrament. But only God can give you holy communion. And I think this applies to the situation of the soul, that heaven is the ultimate communion with God, uh, a, a union of perfect love. And and can you receive it? Well, I don't know if you can. Have you, have you killed your soul enough so that you can't receive it? But, um, you know, I have a feeling in your case that, that the longing for God was always kind of there anyway, and God heard that and has given you the chance to, to return. You know, so that would be my thought. And I, does that help at all? It, it, it does help because, you know, but I, I always thought, geez, I, I, I did leave, you know, I, I always loved God and I was always faithful, but I always, I've led a pretty bad life, you know, in my 20s and 30s. I mean, yeah. I was never a bad yeah. person. I just did, you know, I, you know, I, I, well, I well, once again, it was kind of a hedonistic lifestyle. And, uh, you know, well, now, but yeah, I was given the chance to evolve just... out of that. Yeah, that, that 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 that's enough. I mean, a hedonistic lifestyle is enough to say I'm a bad person. But uh, you know that that you had the longing for God, and God saw that and heard it, and so there you are now. So God has this thing worked out. He he never gives up on us until we've completely given up on ourselves. I suspect. So well, congratulations, and you can drive in closer to God by staying on the air and praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet with Dean, with Dean, with Drew, Dean, Drew, one of those D words, Drew. All right. I'm getting old. 